Hello everybody and you're very welcome along to the latest episode of the Racing News 365.com Formula 1 podcast. My name is Thomas Marr and joining me today is Dieter Rankin and Mike Seymour. Dieter, you're still in Mexico, I believe. How has your weekend been? Oh, it's been it's been a wonderful weekend, Thomas. Thank you very much for asking. I mean, I, I just love coming to this place. It's one of my favorite Grand Prix, and I, I really mean that. Uh, the hospitality is superb. Mexico City's got this sort of, this this just this buzz wherever you go. I mean, we saw the enthusiasm, the passion for Formula One in the stands, uh, and it's not only Checo. I mean, even if Checo retired tomorrow, I think they would still come back in their hordes. Um, you know, 120,000 people on average every day. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Really, really great weekend. Now, coming into the weekend, we heard that uh, China has extended its deal up until 2025. And uh, Dieter, you've got information on another couple of tracks that have a, a look like they're extending their deals. Well, more than a couple. In fact, three. I believe that Spain has now decided that it would like to to be part of the longer term future of Formula One. You know, having dropped off the calendar 2019, well, at the end of 19, that didn't extend. 2020, they came back because of the um, the COVID. And then, of course, we, we had a race here this year also under COVID. Uh, they've, they've had some political challenges because of the, the Catalan and national government um, situation. But uh, obviously, the Catalan government, which basically is responsible for the races, decided they'd like to be part of Formula One. And I believe that an announcement will be made very shortly. The other race is uh, Singapore, which I believe as well had uh, sort of been in, in in uh, negotiations with Formula One over the hosting fee, where the Singaporeans said, "Well, look, you know, the great the race has been great. It's cost us a lot of money, but it certainly put Singapore on the map. We don't need to spend that amount of money in future uh, to to keep Singapore on the map." Uh, and I believe that they've sort of been haggling over race fees, but uh, race hosting fees. But I believe that they've now sort of um, uh, agreed a, a figure, and I think that's another announcement we'll see shortly. And then third is is Abu Dhabi, which is no great surprise. Uh, you know, they've got this this um, uh, mega circuit there, which a lot of people don't like. But let's not forget they've invested an awful lot recently in upgrading it and changing the camera of corners, etc. And um, their their contract expires at the end of this this year. So um, they've decided they would also like to be part of Formula One's longer term future. So those are the three that I believe we'll see announcements about uh, shortly. Well, let's move on to talking about the race itself that we saw in Mexico. And Mike, we saw Max Verstappen recover from uh, what looked like a reasonably dodgy qualifying from Red Bull on Saturday. Uh, Coming back at the start of the race, overtaking both Mercedes. And basically, he just checked out from there. What did you make of Verstappen's uh, drive on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. Another brilliant performance from, from Max on Sunday. Have to say, absolutely loving the battle this season, the dynamic uh, the swings between Mercedes and Red Bull, not just race by race, but session session by session as well. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, Red Bull looking so strong throughout practice. Um, and then as the temperatures rose uh, through Q2 into Q3, uh, Mercedes just got it all together and it seemed like their, their package uh, worked better in those, those conditions. So uh, Mercedes front row lockout against the run of play um all changing again and then we head into the the race on sunday max making a brilliant start and that's where he really uh, won the race an excellent move around the outside of uh, the two mercedes drivers never looking back from that point red bull uh back on form in, in race trim so 
as I say, loving that 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 dy- dynamic um, this season so far, and it sets things up very nicely for uh, for Brazil. It was a big statement, wasn't it, from Red Bull Dieter? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they they literally had to win this race, Thomas. There's no doubt about that. To to keep um, um, Max's uh, championship and title hopes alive. And also, they had to have a big score to close up the gap in the Constructors' Championship. They're now one point behind Mercedes, which I think is cause for major concern uh, for Mercedes, because obviously, as a an OEM, a motor company, they would love to have stickers in the back of the cars they sell, which say, you know, Formula One World Champions... Uh, constructors champions xyz uh whereas of course it could go to what is in the marketplace a fizzy drinks company of course uh i understand fully that red bull racing is a proper professional racing team but let's not forget they're in the business to sell drinks predominantly of the the driver the human face which is why they go into these various activities like space jumps etc whereas mercedes as a motor manufacturer, would obviously love to put this this um, this honour on uh, on the back of each car, use it in their advertising, etc. Mike, I know Max says that he doesn't really believe in momentum, but that's three races in a row now where he's extended that lead in the championship. Uh, well, he's outscored Lewis in the championship as well. How much do you think now, uh, how much of that momentum do you think he's going to be able to carry forward into Brazil? Mm, I think he's always going to play it down. Um, I mean, there's uh, a lot to think about when fighting for your first world title and not wanting to get ahead of yourself. Um, but it, it's a, another big, big win for Max, you know, extending his title lead for the third, third uh, race on the bounce. 19 points ahead now. I think we're kind of getting into DNF territory for Lewis um, to, to, to cut that deficit and, and turn things around. You know, even if Hamilton wins the next three races with Max second, putting the fastest lap bonus points out, out of the way, that's a 21-point swing and it would only be a two-point lead at the end of it going into the season finale. So, it's these kind of permutations that we're we're thinking about now, and it definitely feels like the advantage is with Max uh, and Red Bull, even though they're naturally going to to play it down. So, let's see what Interlagos holds. Um, still high altitude, a little bit lower than than Mexico City, um, but looking forward to to seeing how that that uh, swinging that I just mentioned um, unfolds next time out uh, over the course of the weekend Dieter we saw that the balance of power kind of shift back and forth between Red Bull on Friday it was Red Bull uh, at crunch time in qualifying it was very much Mercedes and then back to Red Bull then on race pace how did you see the lay of the land over the course of the weekend basically what I saw was you know each of the teams looking at their, their relative weaknesses strengthening up for the next session and that put them ahead which meant that the other one now had to sort of work that bit harder and I think that's why we sort of saw the swing from FP1 to FP2 into FP3 where Red Bull were ahead again then qualifying Mercedes were ahead but let's not forget that uh, in qualifying, Red Bull were basically hampered by that peculiar, could I say, bizarre incident with uh, Yuki Tsunoda and Gasly, which in turn affected 
Checo uh, Perez, which in turn affected Max Verstappen. And I think without that, possibly qualifying may have been different. I know that we shouldn't talk in terms of ifs and buts, because the record will show that Lewis had the, had pole position. But ultimately, um, I, I think that we would have seen a different result and outcome had it not been for that incident with Yuki. Well, let's discuss Yuki in a moment. But first, I just want to talk about Mercedes because Total Wolf was reasonably critical uh, after the race, saying that they, they parted the sea for, for Verstappen and that Bottas maybe shouldn't have left the door open for Max. What did you make of the first corner, uh, Dieter? Could could Valtteri have done more? Um, possibly he could have. And I think, uh, uh, Thomas, we need to have a look at the sort of mindset and the, the frame of mind that, that uh, Valtteri is in now. He's only got four races left wearing Mercedes overalls. So from that perspective, I'm starting to wonder whether he hasn't let his, his commitment wane ever so slightly. And when I say ever so slightly, you know, 1% or 2 but that makes all the difference. Um, in in, in a, a world-class sport, you need to be 100% committed. In fact, 110% committed. And I'm wondering whether Valtteri isn't maybe only 95% committed to Mercedes. Really saying, well, why, why should I really go to that last 1%? Uh, when in fact I'm leaving them anyway. And I think he's going to play a crucial role in these last four races if Mercedes want to to uh, retain the Constructors' Championship, which let's not forget, they've won every year since the hybrid era started in 2014. They would love a clean sweep under this regulatory period where they've won every championship from 2014 to end of 21. Um, and you know, there, there's a, a big danger, as I said earlier on, that Red Bull could take that. So they really need to get Valtteri uh, jacked up. But of course, incidents like the pit stop don't help. Incidents like the various power unit penalties he's had to take recently don't help. And I think that um, they do really need to give uh, Valtteri every single motivation to remain totally committed until the end of this year. I have no doubt that he says he is fully committed and he would say that, wouldn't he? But I do have my doubts whether he is. Yuki Tsunoda, we mentioned him and the reaction that, that Red Bull had towards Yuki after qualifying uh, when they felt that he, he'd held up Sergio and Max. Do you think that was over the top from Red Bull? Do you think they had a valid uh, complaint about Yuki Dieter? Uh, no, I don't. But I think that it was almost understandable under the circumstances. There's a lot of emotion at play after after qualifying. I mean, Red Bull really believed that they had the, the front row locked out. It didn't turn out that way. Um, and I think that emotionally they, they sought a scapegoat and I think that, that Yuki provided it. Um, it was a bit of a bizarre incident. I mean, let's not forget that Yuki was um, uh, taking a power unit penalty. So he was starting, when I say from the back of the grid, there were four drivers with, with uh, power unit penalties. Uh, and he wanted to ensure that he was the first of those four on the grid. Uh, in addition to that, he wanted to give his teammate Pierre Gasly a toe. As Christian Horner had said on Saturday, on Friday during the uh, FIA press conference, you know, it's very easy to get it wrong with these toes. And um, they did get it wrong. And no pun on toes, but it looks as though they shot all 10 toes with a double barrel shotgun. <laughs> yeah. And Mike, what did you make of the reaction from Red Bull towards Yuki? Do you think that was symbolic maybe of maybe a little bit of panic on Red Bull's side? I think they they just dropped the ball a little bit in qualifying. It didn't go their way, and and Yuki was a good uh, scapegoat for that. I, I don't think he did um, too much wrong in that situation. Really, he got well off the track. It was Perez's mistake. Um, if anything, 
the, the dust played more of a role and Yuki wouldn't have known that uh, that much dust was going to be kicked up in the air. So I think just a good excuse really for Red Bull after they lost out to Mercedes um, in qualifying. And at least Christian seems to have backtracked a little bit on that uh, post-race. Um, and I, I think that was important not to damage the otherwise good progress that Yuki has been has been making in recent races. Well, one of the interesting things, if if I could just come in there, uh, Thomas, please, is that when I spoke to Yuki after the session, he was blissfully unaware of the fact that he'd caused or been involved in any of this. It, it was actually a, a bizarre situation because he was saying, oh, I've had a great qualifying. I wanted to ensure that I was the, the best of the penalty uh, drivers and I've achieved that. So I'm very, very happy with what I achieved. And he said, well, what has Helmut Marko said to you about the incident? He said, what incident? We said, well, when you went off, oh, and then his, his PR lady showed him the footage. And he was absolutely mortified. I mean, he, you know, he uh, he said, did I do something wrong? And, you know, you don't ask journalists that sort of question, but that's how desperate he was to try and find an answer for it. And we basically said, no, well, you hadn't. Um, but, of course, he then had to go and face the music. We could see that he was very worried about the, the conversation that was to follow. Well, at the start of the race, all those qualifying issues were were put to bed, really, by Max Verstappen because he, he, he made use of that little bit of room that Valtteri Bottas had left for him, managed to get around the outside, and then he just slammed on the anchors so much later than what Mercedes were able to do. How impressed were you by, by Max at the start of the race, Dieter? Oh, I mean, it was just imperious. I mean, it wasn't only the start. The start, he was slightly slower than Lewis, actually, the reaction time. But it's what he did at the end of the straight. That was just incredible. One of the best moves this year, certainly for a long time. And uh, absolutely incredible. And I mean, that is literally where he won the race. And I think that is actually the critical point in this World Championship. Uh, let's look a little bit further back on the grid and looking at the battle that's happening right behind Red Bull and Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship, Mike, and that is Ferrari and McLaren. In recent races, we've kind of seen Ferrari, momentum seems to be on their side a little bit ever since their power unit update. And it very much was the case in uh, in Mexico with Charles Leclerc coming home in fifth, Carlos Sainz in sixth. But how different could it have been if Daniel Ricciardo hadn't tagged Valtteri Bottas at the start of the race. No, indeed. I mean, Daniel and McLaren uh, could come to rue that incident uh, by the end of the season. Obviously, it's been very close between Ferrari and McLaren throughout the year. Uh, momentum, as you say, has been on Ferrari's side. They've got the job done in recent races, making the most of that power unit upgrade. Charles, in particular, has been um, yeah, maximising the, the points and uh, that's all contributed to the situation now. 13.5 points clear of McLaren. Um, again, strong team performance uh, on Sunday. But McLaren kind of opening the door for them, um, or Daniel, I should say, uh, with that Turn 1 incident. So every point is important um, at this stage of the season. And it would have been interesting to see how the race would have unfolded, um, You know, the outright pace between McLaren and Ferrari, because in qualifying it was very close. Uh, Daniel splitting Charles and, and Carlos. Um, I don't think it's over this battle. I think Mexico is damaging for McLaren, obviously. Uh, but four races to go. Let's see what the pace is like next time out in Brazil. And hopefully it's another battle behind the leaders that will go down to the wire and keep things exciting. 
Dieter, Mike, Mike believes that the, the battle is going to keep going. Do you think it's all over just yet? No, not at all. Uh, you know, Thomas, I believe that uh, we've now seen a Daniel Ricciardo who's returned to the top of his game. Let's not forget that some of the points that McLaren lost were lost earlier on in the season when, when Daniel was battling to get to come to grips with Eve McLaren. Uh, and whereas now he's really, really returned to the sort of form that we know. So I think we can see him uh, in the thicker battles going forward. Yeah, it was an unfortunate slip yesterday. Uh, he was on the dirty side. There was a bit of dust. He locked up. He clattered into the back of Altery. That, of course, then uh, took him out, so or uh, out of contention. But basically, I believe that he can certainly play a, a very, very, very uh, strong role in in the battle going forward, and you know, let's not forget that Lando also uh, was was racing with one hand tied behind his back, having taken a power unit penalty. So I don't think that yesterday's race is indicative of the potential of of uh, McLaren. And I think that we can look forward to some more argy-bargy back and forth between the two teams. And that's great. Let's let's just cast our mind back to the, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, where it was McLaren versus Ferrari. Yeah, it's not for the top step of the podium, but it's still those two teams going at it hammer and tongs. Absolutely. And as Ricardo said, it, it just adds an extra little bit layer of spice when it's two historic teams like Ferrari and McLaren. But uh, looking even further back on the grid, Dieter, and looking at Alfa Romeo and Antonio Giovinazzi, because Antonio, I think, was a little bit unlucky in Mexico. He ran as high as sixth uh, in the opening stages, had a great little battle with Ferrari's Carlos Sainz, uh, but ultimately strategy left him uh, let him down. He was outside the points by the checkered flag, and it couldn't really have come at a, at a worse time for Antonio, really, could it, when his seat is uh, still up for grabs. Uh, yeah, but I do believe, uh, Thomas, that the decision has already been taken, that it will be one of the, the Alpine drivers, Guangzhou Zhou or um, Oscar Piastri. I think that uh, Alfa Romeo stroke Sauber, because let's not forget the team is actually Sauber racing as Alfa Romeo. I believe that they've given Antonio every single uh, opportunity. And uh, the mere fact that they uh, need to consider a replacement for him tells us that they aren't that satisfied with him. You know, people say to me, um, "Has there, you know, can you remember a spectacular moment from Antonio?" Well, I can re- remember quite a few, but unfortunately, they ended in the in the barriers or some something like that. And I think this is the issue that he hasn't really delivered. He hasn't been convincing as a Formula One driver. Does he have a future in motorsport? Absolutely. Did he deserve? Uh, the opportunity in Formula One, absolutely. But I think that uh, he's now got to look at his Ferrari ties and see whether he can do a deal for their um, their WEC program. Well, Mike, assuming that Giovinazzi does lose his seat, do you think the Italian Jesus, as some people refer to him as, do you think he's been hard done by? I'd agree with Dieter's sentiment, to be honest. Um, you think of Antonio and you subsequently struggle to think of any wow moments, spectacular uh, results over the years. I think he's had a good run in Formula One. He's been a solid driver um, alongside a solid teammate in, in Kimi in, in recent years. But uh, he hasn't made the same impact as some of his uh, contemporaries. You know, you think of George at Williams, what, what he's been able to do um, on certain occasions, maximising opportunities. The same with Charles when he started at Sauber a few years ago. The really top top drivers are able to make an impact in uh, subpar machinery, and 
I haven't really seen that from Antonio. It's not to say that he's a very competent driver, but uh, I'd personally like to see someone else get a chance now. And obviously a lot of politics going on in the background as to who takes that second seat alongside Valtteri next year. Um, I'd like it to be Oscar Piastri. I think he's done all he can in the junior categories. Uh, A very strong Formula 2 season. Um, But let's see how it shakes out. It's... uh, Alfa Romeo have the uh, pick of the grid at the moment, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. But looking ahead now to this weekend and the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, as it's going to be known as for this weekend, uh, Dieter, Mercedes appear to have gotten over their power unit issues, particularly at racing at altitude. Now, while Sao Paulo might not be as high up as uh, Mexico City, how much of a difference do you think that's going to make for this weekend? Um, well, I think that what Mercedes have done is they've been able to to manage the cooling of the of the power unit better than than Honda have, and therefore Red Bull have. Uh, and I think that it won't be as crucial in in uh, Brazil from a, an altitude perspective. But it depends exactly what the temperatures and the the climates do. You know, are we going to have rain? Will it be very hot? Let's not forget it's a sort of tropical region, um, very unpredictable in terms of weather. And I think that if it's very hot and humid, I think Mercedes could actually have a power unit edge over Red Bull. That said, Red Bull seemed to have an aero advantage over over Mercedes. Uh, when if we exclude the the impact of cooling on the aerodynamics and therefore i think it's going to be again a nip and tuck sort of race mike where do you see the balance of power this weekend is it going to be as nip and tuck as dieter thinks i think so uh it was fascinating over the mexican grand prix weekend and i think we're gonna see more of the same um it's so close between the, the two teams uh engine power straight line speed is not Mercedes' issue uh, at the moment. Um, we saw it over the weekend in Mexico. Uh, Max was consistently down in the first sector with the two long DRS straights. Uh, but then over sector two and three, making that back up and more with the uh, aero efficiency and the mechanical grip on the Red Bull. So although Interlagos is a different circuit to Mexico City, still got the high altitude element um, and I think those two factors, um, how it plays out over the course of the lap, is going to lead to another close weekend. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, Dieter, there, there's one thing I noticed from Mexico, and that was down the, the very, very long pit straight. Lewis was able to pull in Max by around three tenths of a second every lap when there was no DRS or toes or anything like that involved. And uh, given the length of the uh, the power demand, basically, that is sector three in Brazil, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say that I think Lewis is going to close in points wise on Max this weekend. Have you any wild predictions for Interlagos? Uh, no wild ones, but certainly, look, Lewis has to uh, close in on the points gap. If he doesn't, it's all lost, let's be honest, because from there, let's assume uh, Max wins again, Lewis is second, let's leave the fastest lap out of the equation. Uh, basically, we're talking a points gap at the moment of, of 19. Uh, let's assume that, that Max wins and Lewis finishes second. We're talking um, an additional seven which takes us up to 26, which is more than a win in hand with thereafter three races left to go. 
So as Mike correctly said earlier on, we're sort of into into um, uh, retirement uh, numbers here, which is about the only way that Mercedes could then still claw back the deficit. So you know, I, I do believe that Lewis has got to go all out, but I think it's going to be a very tough battle. Well, the races are coming thick and fast now in the last couple of weeks of the championship. This weekend, then, uh, we're off to Brazil for the second race of this current triple header. And uh, guys, we'll be back again for next week's podcast after that race. Dieter Rankin, thank you very much, as always, for joining us on the RacingNews365.com for one podcast. Absolute pleasure, Thomas. Thank you. And you can follow Dieter on Twitter at Racing Lines. Mike Seymour as well, Chief Editor at RacingNews365.com. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Thomas. And you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Seymour F1. My name is Thomas Marr. You can follow me on Twitter at Thomas Marr on F1. We'll be back next week after the Sao Paulo Grand Prix.